0: We've been um, working through a series, the free series, and we've been talking about um, different areas of life to find freedom. And uh, this morning, we're talking about the unshackled life and what that looks like and what, what's it mean to be unshackled from um, afflictions or bondage, addictions in our life. And so often when we think about addictions, we initially think of drugs, alcohol, lust, maybe food, shopping. But I think there's levels of addictions that show up in our life that's also a little bit more unseen. Um, maybe how we engage relationships. Maybe um, how we, go at, how we um, see our self-worth. In ourselves, so maybe it's in what we do, that we're addicted to doing things and accomplishing tasks, as opposed to being present in relationships. And there's probably a part of us all that kind of can name something within us that feels like it's a persistent thing that reveals itself in our life, that brings us down, or that interferes with our ability to feel like we can engage the presence of God. And so we're going to kind of talk about those this morning. And so to kick off, I want you to just take a minute and I want you to think about, think about something that you've gone without within the past two, three weeks. Okay. For some of you, maybe it's something enjoyable. For me, it'd be ice cream because I like ice cream. And I haven't had ice cream in a while, and now that I'm thinking about it, I could go for a bowl of ice cream. For some of you, it might not be as enjoyable. Maybe it's something that you've been trying to overcome. Maybe it's something that you've been trying to eradicate from your life or get rid of. But if whatever it was, there's still a type, there's still a way that we approach it in our thought that is the same. So whether we like something or we don't like something, and we're going without it, there's part of us that misses it. There's part of us that actually longs for it, whether it's good or bad for us. And that's really important to understand and it's really important to see because when it's good or bad, but yet we still have the same desire for it, or we still miss it, we have the same reaction. It's hard to be motivated to stay focused. It's hard to be motivated to stay healthy in our relationship with Christ. The passage that we're looking at this morning is Mark chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 1 through 20. And it's a story of a man who is demon-possessed and ha- and his encounter with Jesus. And I need to make a disclaimer because what... I don't want you to walk away from this passage, is hearing that all addiction is demonic in nature. Um, That's not what we're saying. But there is a direct, there is a a deep correlation to how, how this demonically possessed man is set free, how he is unshackled, and how we can live unshackled or set free from addictions as they show up in our own life. And so there's some really great, connections that we can really walk through this verse this these verses and see how freedom and how a life unshackled actually looks when we live it out so i'm going to invite you to um read along with me i'm going to read it section by section as we go through and so i will spare your legs um this morning so you won't have to stand for 20 verses so but if you do have your bibles uh feel free to turn to mark chapter 5 we're looking at 1 through 20 and then we're also um it will be on the screen above, and you can read along if you'd like. So we're going to do one through six. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. <laughs> he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, if you were traveling and you entered a town and someone of the same character as we just read was your first encounter, my guess is your perception of that town would not be so good. But yet, it's very interesting, obviously, when it's the way... I mean, this is what Mark shares with us, so obviously there's something about to happen here that we need to know. But here you have Jesus traveling across the Sea of Galilee for the first time. This is the first time he engages this region And who knows if he knows what to expect, right? But you can assume that he's walking into this region with them not really knowing who he is. Um, People may have heard rumors of him, but there's probably no real knowledge of of who Jesus is, and he's just kind of another boat with with his cronies arriving on, on, on the beach, you know? And from the very beginning, in this new region, he is identified... As Jesus. That the the demonic spirits, they know who he is. And, and they cower and they are fearful of his presence. But the man comes and he runs and he falls at Jesus' feet. And so it's like, you know, the gig's up. Jesus is already not allowed to be anybody else but Jesus in this moment. And what's interesting to see is that we can see in this man that he has been tortured for a really long time the ESV uses the word with an an unclean spirit. And I thought about how great of a word that actually is. Because the spirit is unclean, right? The spirit does not promote health in him. But he is also physically unclean. That the spirit actually makes him unclean. He doesn't live in a home. He lives among the tombs. And in Jewish law, although he was a Gentile, Jesus and his disciples would would know this about him, is that in Jewish law, because he lives among the tombs, it therefore makes him unclean for seven days. Because whenever a a follower of God or a Jew would interact with a dead body or um, bones of a dead body, uh, it would make them unclean for seven days. And so this guy was living among the tombs, which are probably just little carved-out caves in the hillside. And so he's perpetually in a state of uncleanliness. He's consistently unclean, because he's never away seven days to actually be purified. So he's in this constant state of being unclean. Not only is it because of where he lives, but because of just his physical stature. I mean, he roams the hillside, scavengers for food, talks about how um, he cuts himself with rocks. He engages in behaviors that just take away from his physical presence. They take away from his physical image and leaves him looking dirty, hurt, and unclean. And so people stayed away, right? He got pushed out. He couldn't be bound. So obviously the community knows him. They've tried to manage him, and it hasn't worked, and he gets pushed out. Addictions show up like this in our own life. And a good prescription of ad- addiction in our life is our ability to be clean or unclean. And so we can look in our lives and we can find areas of uncleanliness that might be a result of an addiction in our life. When you're struggling with addiction, physical Physically, it plays a toll on our life. If we, um, in my work with uh, individuals who struggled with drug addiction, I mean, you could... There were some individuals who came through the door who I I could just know. I knew what drug they were struggling with. Because the drug that they were struggling with has certain effects on their body physically. And if they had been engaging that drug long enough, you could see that, you know? And so if... If someone came in and their their complexion was, um, their skin was looked very old compared to their age, and their teeth were messed up, and they had um, just kind of a, um, a downcast in their whole presentation, you knew that okay, there's a good chance that heroin right, has been used. If someone came in and they were they they were frail looking and they were very thin, and their their skin didn't have like a healthy glow to it, but was almost white, um, in, a, in a pasty kind of way, you know, then it's like, okay, maybe they're struggling with cocaine. Because addictions in our life physically impact us. Someone who is maybe struggling with a, a, an emotional perception, you know, of engaging people, and they, they just can't ever feel a sense of connectedness, right? You can kind of pick that out because they don't, they don't smile. Or if they do, it looks fake. You know, And so, so addictions or afflictions in our life, they show up physically. They also show up emotionally. And we think and we feel things about ourselves that just aren't true. We feel that we're unworthy or we feel ashamed and we feel guilt. And we are just downtrodden in our emotions and, and struggle deeply. Mentally, addictions try to overtake us. And we think thoughts about how can we get what we want to satisfy the emotional need that we have. But also, we think through things in a way that doesn't make sense in reality, but actually promotes or makes access um, to our addiction better or easier according to our addiction, right? And so we'll think things like, well, if I leave five minutes early and I go there and I go there, then I can get what I need to get and be set. Or if I do it this way, or if I tell this person that thing, then then they'll do that, so that gives me time over here to do this thing, right? And so we're constantly thinking about ways to be unclean in our addiction. And not only that, but we're also thinking negative thoughts about ourselves. And so when we are engaging in behavior that is not um, actually reflecting who we are in our relationship with Christ, but we're thinking about our addiction, then we start thinking about things that doesn't actually promote Christ-likeness, it promotes addiction-likeness. It promotes whatever we're pursuing. And so when we, we'll think thoughts of like, well, I never get it right, so I might as well go and do that thing anyway. Or, man, like, I just can't seem to win. I can't seem to catch a break. And we'll feel bad, and so we'll go and do our thing anyway. And thoughts and emotions and feelings all become this sick cycle Of perpetuating the addiction within our own self. And spiritually, spiritually we're left feeling alone and unworthy. That we have this darkness about us that doesn't allow us to approach Jesus Christ, the one who can set us free. But that's the lie, right? Living The shackled life looks like us walking in uncleanliness and accepting that that's our state, that that's our fate. And it doesn't look like living a shackled life where we recognize that we are being controlled by something that we don't want to be and that we are taking on an identity that is not who God has called us to be. And so living the shackled life, unshackled life, looks like going to the feet of Jesus, just like this demon-possessed man does. In a moment of grace, he's allowed to run to the feet of Jesus. So you would think that the demonic spirits within him would be in opposition to Jesus and so would want to flee. They wouldn't want to be in the presence of someone who has greater power and can remove the source of tormented that they are all about. But in a moment of grace, this guy from afar off comes to Jesus' feet. Let's keep reading through. Let's go verses 7 through 10 and keep looking at this. So he ran and he fell down before him. And verse 7 picks up, says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, Mark says that Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so therefore the, the spirits respond, right? With, um, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. But they ask a question first. They say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And it's an interesting question. And what's interesting about it is actually what they call Jesus. There's a level of truth in what they say, right? They actually identified Jesus as the Son of the Most High God. That's, in our current understanding, it's respectful, right? When you see someone, you know, uh, you know, you say Mr. President, or, you know, someone of authority or someone of stature, you address them by who they are. And in this culture, though, it was not. It's actually a form of manipulation, in this culture, it was very much a, a, the custom or the belief that if you use the full name of the individual, um, that it gives, you, it gives you access to do them harm, or it gives you access to control them spiritually, and it gives you access to um, put curses and things like that on them. And so it's a very, very um, pagan idea, very much, uh, I think, in what we... Think in terms of like voodoo, you know, if you actually have the, the full name, it gives you access to that person's spirit and you can affect them. And so we see that this is the this is the mentality of the spirits in this moment. That that they are they're playing this like, oh you're more powerful than me, oh no, but yet trying to manipulate Jesus. And it just can't happen. But yet that is the nature of what the demonic is, right? It they're trying to manipulate, they're trying to deceive even in a moment where they are facing their ultimate authority. And so we can see that um, not only are they trying to manipulate, but they're being deceptive about it. And they're not being honest because they're, they're saying the truth, but they don't actually believe it. They don't actually believe in the Son of the Most High God. They just know He is that. And there's a difference. Because, see, when we engage, when we experience addictions and afflictions in our life, we are fed so many lies, so many untruths that look or might be somewhat based in truth. And so manipulation, deception, these are all aspects of addiction in our life. We do it to ourselves. We allow others to do it to us. And we do it to others all for the sake of our addiction, all for the sake of continuing and allowing the torture to happen in our life. See, their goal at this point is not so much for the man and to be able to stay there. Their goal is that the demonic in in this story, they just want to be able to continue to create chaos. They want to be continually destructive against God's creation. And so they're trying to do whatever they can to stay alive and keep that ability to be destructive. And that's what addiction is like for us, right? Addiction is, you know, if I do, um, if I lie, well, it doesn't mean that I necessarily am a pathological liar. It just means that I, I lied. And so I can ask for forgiveness and I can state the truth and make amends and move on. But if I have a pattern of lying... And I've created a lifestyle where all I do is lie. Well, that's going to be a little bit harder to break, right? Because it's in this cycle. It's in this addictive pattern. And when things get in that kind of a pattern, when sin shows up in our lives in a repetitive pattern in that kind of a nature, it just slowly eats away at us. And it just keeps eating away and eating away and eating away until it's the only thing that we think we have and our identity then becomes in being a liar not in being the image of god genesis 1:26 and 27 tells us that we are created in the image of god and it's within that image that we are first called to adam and eve were not created in any other any other image but the image of god And it wasn't until they ate of the fruit of the tree that they then learned the difference between good and evil, and sin entered the world. And so we often say, like, sin is our second nature. Right. Sin is our second nature. Our first nature, who God created us to be, is to be in His image. Andy Crouch, who is the editor of Christianity Today, coined the phrase image-bearer. We are image-bearers bearers of God, our Father. The demonic in this guy's life and addiction in our life, all it does is it wants us to keep us unclean. It wants to to taint the image of God as it shows up in our life. And it also wants to deceive us and distract us from actually engaging and walking in the image of God by feeding us all of these lies about who we are. When addiction is repetitive and a pattern in our life, those negative thoughts just increase. The power that we feel to overcome decreases over and over and over again, and our will to fight against it wanes as we go years and years in affliction and addiction in our life. Someone who was newly seeking treatment when I was um, working in the addictions field, they would come in and they would Sit down for their assessment, and oftentimes, when you come to the place of needing treatment, unless your heart's in it, you don't want to necessarily submit to it. And so they would come, and they knew that they needed help, but it's a big step, right, to actually admit. And you do the assessment, and you would say, Okay. Well, I, you know, you meet criteria for intensive outpatient. Okay, what's intensive outpatient? Well, it is. Um, it's about twelve weeks of nine hours a week of therapy, and they would they would freak out. What? You mean I have to be in treatment nine hours a week for tw- for twelve weeks? That's ridiculous. I don't know if I can do that. I got I got things to do. I got you know. And they give you this whole litany of reasons why they didn't want to do it. And I would just look at them and I would say, okay, sure, yeah, I can understand that, you know. I wouldn't want to be in treatment nine hours a week either, I, I get that. Um, but I would say, so how long have you been in your, um, in a, in your addiction? How long have you been using? Uh, since I was 14, so about like 10 years. Oh, okay. So you, you don't want to invest three months into getting clean, but you invested 10 years in addiction. They're like, well... I'd be like, so let's think about this. Let's do the math, right? Do you think that in less than three months you actually have a chance of overcoming your addiction and living a sober lifestyle that you've been doing for ten years, right? It's, It's just sociological math. When we have... We're creatures of habit, and so when we've been in a pattern of self-destruction for so long. It's going to take time to move beyond that. It's going to take time and, of creating a new pattern of living. And it's going to take a lot of grace. Some of you may be familiar with the um, 12 steps of AA. Anybody know or maybe you've heard? So what's the first step of AA? I know I don't like doing the first step of AA. Right, admit that we are powerless. Thank you. I knew, I knew people out there knew it. Um, admitting we're powerless. And that's there's a reason for that. That's a great first step. Because we actually have to admit that we're powerless to overcome these affi- afflictions and addictions in our life. And just like the demonic-possessed man, we have to run to the feet of Jesus and we sit there. AA used to be about, you know, uh, um, they used to emphasize God more as that higher power. And now they, they, they move uh, more to a um, a stance of, of it being whatever, you know, your higher power is. But for for Christians in our walk with Christ, it is Jesus Christ. There is nobody else that can be that higher power for us in our life. Because everything else is just going to lead us into another Addiction, another pattern of behavior that takes away from being image bearers of Jesus Christ. And so we have to stay in a posture of going to Jesus. And so, just like when we live an unshackled life, or a shackled life, we live a life of being in uncleanliness. And so, to live in an unshackled life, we have to live in a, a, a state of recognizing that our image in God Calls us to be clean, calls us to be holy, calls us to walk in right standing with God. So, also, from this, we can learn that we have to, a, a, a shackled life is a life where we believe the lies of the addiction in our life. It's, a shackled life is where we walk around believing in the lies. An unshackled life is actually confessing that we believed the lie. Not that we're liars, not that we're awful people, not that I'm a horrible person who can't do this or that, but confess that I believed the lie, which meant I didn't believe the truth of God's Word. So if you want to live unshackled, it's confessing the lies that we've been sold and bought and agreeing with God. Saying that I am a child of God. I am created in the image of God. And that is how God designed me. That's how God wants me. And that's the truth. And whatever junk is in my life right now that's telling me otherwise, that's the lie. And I'm not believing that. Pick it up in um, verse 10 or verse 11. Through thirteen. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea The demonic when it shows up begs God to not torture them, because their sole purpose, as we said, was to cause destruction to whatever God has created. And so here we see that they so desire to torment someone that they've all embodied in this one guy. And when Jesus, who has the authority to cast them out and to actually end their ability to make them idle, which they would hate, They beg him and request of him to be sent somewhere else. And maybe not do destruction to the image of God as it shows up in humanity, but to do destruction to God's creation. Even though pigs are unclean animals according to Jewish law, they're still God's creation. And according to Jewish law, it might be fitting that the demonic goes into an unclean animal of that nature. And Jesus agrees... And we might be like, well, why didn't Jesus just make him idol? You know, like, he had the ability, he had the power to do it. Why didn't he just do it, you know? Like, so, you know, they, they, they say their, um, their name is Legion, right? Which isn't their name. It's actually just another um, intimidating tactic of their numbers to try and intimidate Jesus. There's too many of us, you know, you can't handle us. And, of course, Jesus doesn't even flinch at that. So, if there's, like, thousands of demonic present in this guy, you know, like, why? If Jesus just makes him idle, there's probably thousands of more roaming the earth. Like, we wouldn't miss him, right? Um, but he doesn't. And to fully understand his heart, I don't know that we can. But we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, where he's consistently um, being attacked or... Um, Pressured by the Pharisees to get himself caught in a lie where they can arrest him. And he continually evades those moments. You know, or we see him with his disciples, and all they want to do is is crown him king and push him up there and make this a political power. And he and he you know he rebukes Peter in one moment and he he avoids um, the crowds and 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 others because he says in every time it's not yet his time. And so even in this story we see how Jesus submits himself to the Father, how God allows himself to be li- he, he limits himself for the sake of the people, for his heart to have a bigger gain than in the moment. And we see that and we don't always get it you know and sometimes it shows up in our life because here we are and we just want to experience healing and we pray and we plead with God for healing in our life. And to remove the affliction or the addiction that we feel, and yet feel as though, like, what happens, you know? And so we don't always understand, and we can't all the time get it. But that's not the point. The point is that we experience God in a way that He desires us to experience Him. The point is that we believe the truth of God, that we are image bearers of God the Father. Just like I am biologically related to my father, we have the same kind of DNA structure, and it's no doubt, you know, that's my dad. I think Bitework talked about this um, at a board meeting. He's like, he's a better example of this than me and my dad, because I kind of look like my dad. But Bitework and his dad, man, they look like they're spitting images, right? I mean, they're even losing the top in the same spot, you know? And, And he's like, there's no doubt. Right, and we have that same kind of look with our heavenly Father. Right, spiritually, God has has invested all that we are, and so therefore, there's intrinsic value to who we are. Just because we carry the image of Christ in our life, we can't be deceived by that. We can't let that, um, by our addictions. We can't let our addictions tear that down. And tell us otherwise, because it's it's just not true. And there's moments in our life where we experience the grace of God and we experience the power of God in the most mightiest way. And we are we are temptation is nothing to us, right? And and a, what was once a struggle isn't. And those are those are great moments. And those are moments to praise and thank God for His grace in our life. But when we're not in a moment like still need to walk in faith still walk in the truth that we are made in the image of God the father the demonic seeks to cause destruction and they do so pretty well i mean they take 2000 pigs run them off a cliff and drown it's a huge economic loss for that community And it's an example of how destructive demonic and addictions in our life can really be. That the demonic didn't just impact this man, but it impacted a whole community. And the community felt the consequences of addiction, of demonic possession. Just as when we engage other people we experience the consequence of addictions. You don't even need to know somebody who has an affliction or an addiction in their life. It could, be, it could be somebody who struggles with alcohol and decide to get behind the wheel. You know, you never met them before in your life, but yet you're the car that they hit, you know. We still experience the consequence of addictions. We still experience the afflictions of addictions of other people. Maybe emotionally you get connected with somebody and all of a sudden you realize you don't know the difference between them and you. And you just feel like they're always calling you, always over at your house, and you just feel that emotional need from them. You And you're just like, I have nothing else to give. You feel the emotional consequence of addiction showing up in their life. Living the shackled life is walking a path, destruction on who we are in our identity in Christ. Walking an unshackled life is actually walking in the identity that God gives us as image bearers of God the Father. Verse 14 through 17 One of the most significant factors in this is fear. We see that the people become fearful of what just happened. Now you would think, probably because I'm not in the story so I can think this way, but we would think that when the people came and they saw that man sitting there in his right mind and clothed and unrestrained, that they would be in awe. And that they would be like, Who did this to you? How did this happen? And he would tell them the story, and they would be like, Who is this man? We need to know him. And they would run back to the town, and they would run back to their villages, and they would get their sick and their wounded, and they're, they would bring them to Jesus and say, Do the same, do it again. You know, let's see this. But they don't. They actually focus on the pigs and the loss to their economy. And the loss of their herds. And they become more concerned and more afraid of what Jesus might actually do. And so they say to him, please just go, just go. We can't, we can't, just go. So often in our lives with addictions, we kind of have the same thing. A uh, pastor Guzik he puts it this way. He says, when people are more afraid of what Jesus will do in their lives than what Satan does in the moment, then they will push Jesus away. And he may leave if you ask him to. When we engage a pattern of negative behaviors, when we engage a pattern of negative thought, when we engage an addiction... It's a moment of self-destruction. And those are so much easier moments to remember than the weeks, days, months prior to where you walked with the Spirit, right? And so in that moment, we're left feeling like the image of God within us is squashed and that we can't actually stand before God. And so we push Jesus away. And if it happens consistently enough, we actually get to the point where we push Jesus so far away that we even question whether he actually sees us and cares and loves about us. And the ability to have hope in our life and the ability to have a light burning within us that sustains us through the addiction decreases to a scary moment. And this is where God's grace is so profound, because being an image-bearer means that at the core of who we are, there is always hope. The core of how God created us, there is always a sense of who God is in our life and who we are as his children. When we can't see that, it's a very sad moment. And precious lives have been lost because of being at that moment. But we see that here in this passage, the demonic doesn't actually have authority to take this guy's life. Because of the image of God in him. But we can see that the destructive nature of the demonic does totally destroy the lives of the pig. And so we know and we can see and maybe some of you have painfully experienced how addiction can take the life of some individual or how an individual can choose no longer to want to live because of the addiction in their life. Those are really painful moments. And living the shackled life results in those kind of moments. We live it too long. But living the unshackled life means that we're not afraid of what Jesus wants to do. Living the unshackled life means that we're not scared of Jesus calling us out and saying, No, you are my child. It's going to be painful, right? We're going to have to confess. We're going to have to repent. We're going to have to get honest with ourselves and with God. But we are made in the image of God. And so therefore, God has a significant desire, greater than all of us could ever imagine, to love us and to build up in us His image so that we can walk around being a light to other people, that we can be worshipers of Him, in our daily lives. And so that ability to be an image bearer and see ourselves that way means that the fire within us does not die. It means that the hope does not get squashed beyond recognition. But it's always there. It's always there. And when we allow ourselves to commune with God, we get to see and be reminded of being a child of God. And instead of pushing Him away, we invite Him in. Just like in the beginning of the passage, um, the man runs to Jesus. We seek to run to him because we want to be with him. Finally, in chapters 18, uh, verses 18 through 20, it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy. On you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. It's a great picture of how we actually live unshackled. It's also a picture of how, when we have been unshackled, there's part of us that wants to go back to some level of being shackled. This guy is unshackled, and what does he want to do? He wants to be with Jesus, and he asks, can I come with you? Can I be with you, right? With, with is a relationship word. He wants to be in relationship with Jesus. And what better way, and what logical way, than to actually go with him as he leaves? But Jesus doesn't allow him. And again, we're like, come on, like this guy, I mean, you're leaving because nobody wants you there. And you're going to leave this guy who just became a Christian, just became a follower of you, alone? Like, seriously? That's not very nice. Um, But what is amazing is how God works in this moment. Because Jesus says, no, go and tell your story in the Decapolis. Go tell people. Go relive this moment. And what he's actually saying is, see, the guy wants to come with partially because, yeah, you just freed me, and I want to be with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. But also, when we step out of addictions, when we have moments of freedom in our life, what's the fear? The fear is that it might come back. The fear is that we won't be able to stay there. So often I've talked with people who struggle with depression, and it's like, every day they wake up, and it's like this like mental check. Okay, am I depressed today? I don't think so. Okay. And then they walk in that way. You know? And because this is, we get, we get scared. And it makes sense, you know, like I said, like when you've been in addiction for 10 years, or if you've had a mental health um, diagnosis for years, you know, you get in that pattern. And so we got to break that pattern. But when we're set free, we're set free. The power of Christ in our life sets us free. And we can live in that state of free. We can live unshackled. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. Go live unshackled. Go tell your story. How many times do we hear about new initiatives or new nonprofit organizations that are based on people's experience that is a miraculous experience or just an amazing, incredible life experience, right? They, they, they build upon something. We, we do this the other way too, whereas if somebody, um, you know, uh, a lot of within like um, – diseases you know someone uh, i'm thinking of alex's lemonade stand you know like where someone struggled with something and they've either either fought or and won or fought and lost but they become motivated about it because of their experience and it becomes real and it becomes intimate with them and in order to overcome it they engage in initiatives to rally support and get people connected well it's that same kind of mentality but it's even a deeper sense of fulfillment because it's about being the image of God. When we actually live within the image and the promise of being image bearers, then we get excited and we get passionate and we get connected with people and we want to walk in that path. And we want to relive that moment that we experience. You know, we, we talk about mountaintop experiences and how we're always looking for that next one, right? Well, what if you walked in a pattern of life That's a mountaintop experience because you understand that we're made in the image of God. It's an underlying hope. It's the thing that gives us joy amidst struggles. It's the thing that allows us to have hope in moments of great despair. Because we're made in the image of God. And so we can see that by Jesus telling this guy to go tell his story, he's able to stay in that moment. He's able to be reminded time and time again. Every time he tells that story, he's reminded of what Christ did in his life. And we too have stories. We too have experiences of Christ embracing us and giving us freedom from pain. And we need to tell those stories. It's a thing that keeps the light burning within us. So, living the unshackled life is about being honest with who we are, both as an image bearer and both a sinner but not identifying with being a sinner identifying with being an image bearer and when we can be honest and when we can be open with ourselves and with Christ with one another we create a community that walks in freedom we create a community we cr- create individuals who live unshackled lives would you pray with me